Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Would you guys pray with me as we start off tonight? Jesus, thank you for uh, this gathering of people, God, that we can come here and uh, open your word and ask you to speak to us. Um, God, we ask that uh, there would be an openness and a freshness in this room, that your spirit would would speak to us in ways, God, that uh, maybe we've never been spoken to before. God, give us uh, open ears and soft hearts and allow us to hear your voice, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming tonight, everybody. Welcome to ACF Church. My name is Brian and uh, one of the pastors here. And uh, we are coming into the final stretch of a series called Blind Spots. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been challenging. Uh, It's pushed me personally, and I hope it's been good for you. uh, As we've walked through this letter from a guy named Paul uh, to this really young church in Ephesus, encouraging them to own what it means to be in Christ, to be new creations, fully defined by Christ and Christ alone. And so tonight where you find yourself is in a part of the conversation where we're discussing what a good relationship looks like. And this is such a practical, practical book. Paul really wants to help us out on every level. And so he's going to help identify what, what, like, what is a good marriage and so this is the, this is the question tonight. How do we define a good marriage? What's the difference between this couple that sort of lives together as roommates, uh, but there's really no love there, and a couple who is deeply in love, committed, and, and just a, you know, a, a great relationship until the day that they breathe their last breath? Like, what really makes the difference between those two? And, and I think the question for us is, like, how do we become the latter? How do we be the kind of people that when we enter into a marriage relationship, that it's going to last and it's going to be solid and it's going to, it's going to withhold the, withstand the tests of, of relationships and of, of physical issues and of, of tension and getting two people together to get on the same page. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. And so we really want to, we want to get there tonight and wrestle through this together because I think that um, God's word lines this out for us. If you're not a Christian... This is going to be a great chance for you to kind of peer in to what I think the believers in the room would say is a healthy relationship and what God describes as, as the way a marriage should work together. And I just want to like, I want to start off with a bit of a disclaimer because I know that there's a lot of experiences in this room. Um, some of you have, been, have gone through terrible divorces. Some of you uh, find yourself right now in relationships that are broken. Uh, maybe the person that you're sitting next to at church tonight, there's a problem. Like you guys fought like cats and dogs on the way to church tonight, right? Because I think that's really when uh, the worst things happen in relationships is on the way to church. Um, I don't know what it is about that, but something about that five-minute drive between your house and here, or maybe you're like 30 minutes because you live in Anchorage, uh, and so you got longer to fight and to come up with something to argue about, but it's just something kind of happens when you're coming to church. Uh, There's pressure, and I feel like uh, in many ways, a spiritual attack that happens as you show up asking God to speak to you, uh, that you would be distracted um, by by some kind of problem in your mind. 
And so I just, I would ask you to kind of lay apart uh, some of your own um, experiences and uh, the way that you see marriage, maybe the, the, the mistakes you saw your parents make, uh, the mistakes you've seen your friends make, and just kind of put that aside. And let's just go to the Word of God, ask God what a good marriage looks like. So when we get married, there's, there's this thing that happens where we go from being two people to one person. So in Genesis 2, it talks about this. In, in Ephesians, it also talks about how a man's going to leave his father and his mother, and he's going he's gonna to cling to his wife, and they, the, the two people will become one flesh. And, and so specifically, it's talking about the, the, the physical union, a sexual union that happens when two people come together, uh, when they're married, and they become one flesh. But also, much deeper, on a deeper level, there's this, this, this uh, spiritual connection, and a relational connection that you have when you get married. And so he's encouraging this, two people become one. Now here's the problem. Um, if you were to put an ice cream sandwich and uh, an ice cream sundae in front of me and say, Brian, which one do you want? I would give you the same answer every time. Both. Both would be my answer. I'll take both of them. Why? Because that's where we live, isn't it? That is the life and, and the culture that we live in is just turn it into a combo meal and give me a discount and I'll take everything. Just give me like the left side of the menu. I just, I want it all. Give it to me now, right? And, and so I feel like this, this kind of leaks its way into our marriages where we, we, we make these vows and these commitments for two people to become one person and then we get married and we still want to live like we're single. And I'll be honest, when I got married, this is one of the hardest things for me. This is one of the things keeping me, you know, from actually making that decision to ask Amanda to marry me was I was like, I don't know if I want to give that up. I mean, single life, there's some, there's some good things about the single life. We've got some single people in the room. Any singles? A few of you guys? All right. You guys can catch up after. So um, <laughs> church is a great place to meet people. So uh, being single, there's some great things about being single. I know you're like, yeah, right. I want to be married. I get that. But there's some good things about being single. And so it's hard to give those things up. And so I remember talking with a friend of mine, and he's like, listen, Brian, you don't have to give up what you love, but it's going to change. And I thought, well, that's good enough. I'll, I'll take that. Um, you know, it's, it, I can still love the things that I love, and they don't have to go away when I get married. But I think in the back of my mind, I thought, well, if, if I can still have these things, and maybe he says they have to change, maybe I can get by without them changing at all. And, and all you married people in the, in the room know that when you get married, things change right? All of what used to be, all the things that you used to do, they change. They have to change. They're supposed to change. But there's a resistance to this because we want both and, don't we? We want all of what the single life has to offer with all the benefits of a marriage and a committed relationship. Just like in every other way in our life, we want everything with as little commitment as possible. Now, we made this, this uh, distinction last week as we talked about freedom, and I said that, that freedom isn't the absence of commitment, it's the presence of right commitments, right? So we want the right commitments in our life, and, and here's what I know is that I am glad that I live uh, in, a, in, a, in a lifelong commitment to my wife. I'm thankful for it, and it's not perfect, and we've got our problems, but I'm just grateful that when I go home tonight, like, I know she's not thinking about maybe who's next for her, you know? We have, we have made the distinction. We are committed uh, for the rest of our lives, and a part of it's like, I just don't know if I could do that good again anyway, and so I, don't, I really don't want to go back into the dating pool, and, you know, it's like, yeah, I can reel her in once, but, you know, I was, I was younger and better looking, and uh, things are changing. So, anyway, so I'm glad that we have what we have, but what you need to know is that 
To truly become us means completely losing you. And this is a hard truth. For you to truly become an us means completely losing you. So far too many people want all the benefits of us with all of the benefits of being single and not losing yourself. But by, by what the, the marriage is all about, like by definition, it means two people becoming one flesh, one person. Means you now look at the marriage as being, this is the new you, is an us. And so all of, the, all of what you do in life, your, your dreams and your hopes and everything that you want to see in this life goes through a different filter of what's best for us because what's best for us is ultimately what's best for me. Do you see that? Like now I am no longer, like there is no more me anymore. That person's gone. They were gone the day that I got married. Not that I, I don't matter as a, as a person, but as we're talking about this, I have to let that go. And now see myself as a, as a union with another person, and now we are an us, and I have to completely lose me. But I think this is a hard process, and this is, this is what I want, I want to lead into this conversation about marriage with, because uh, the thing I think that is keeping so many marriages from being healthy is this, this resistance to losing you. We don't want to lose us. We, we like, you know, the, the stuff that we like. We like having our own way and having both. So we're going to go to Jesus to talk about marriage a little bit. And the studious people in the room are going to be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus was never married. But what, what Jesus was, was he was the perfect, uh, the, the perfect uh, union between him and the Father and the Spirit. So Jesus is part of what we call the Holy Trinity. And so you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all co-equal, as, as parts of God. And so Jesus was part of the Trinity and knows what it's like to be in a beautiful union with other beings. And so here's what Jesus says in John 10, 30. He says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Very simple concept that when it comes to Jesus, he and his Father are one being. And what we know about, about marriage is marriage is this picture of the relationship that, that God has and Christ has with the church. And, and it's also a picture of God's unity within himself as part of the Trinity. And so the way we live our marriages should reflect the unity that God has within himself. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And you guys have seen marriages where it seems like they just, they do this well. I mean, they, they have a, a real commitment to each other. It seems like they're always kind of trying to help each other. Neither feels like less than or more than the other one. They just seem to work really well together. But, but let's go to John 6, 38. It says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Also Jesus speaking. So on one hand, we have Jesus saying, I and the Father are one. And then on the other hand, we have Jesus saying, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Now, do you get the sense, as you think about Jesus, that he feels inferior to his father? That he feels less than or, or subservient to his father? What I understand is I, as I read about Jesus and read about him, even as he goes to the cross, he goes to the cross willingly. He gives us up his life willingly. That's his desire. Not forcibly, but he goes to the cross for us willingly out of his own desires. 1 Corinthians 11.3, let's make it real here. It says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Oh, snap, right? All right, 
So you all just got really uncomfortable. And uh, this is a hard passage. It's going to lead us right into Ephesians as we talk about how does this all work together? So I just laid this foundation for what Christ is like in the Trinity, not in any way less than his Father, but serving and doing what his Father says. And then I read this passage about husbands and wife, wives, and, and it probably got kind of weird in, in, in your heart and in many people's hearts because, again, we have seen this done really poorly. You probably have story after story of this done poorly, of, of a man lording over his wife, of a woman who was abused by her husband, you know, and, and abused by his authority. And so you've seen this maybe done terribly. I wonder if you've seen it done well. I wonder if you've seen this healthy, symbiotic relationship between a man and a woman. I wonder if you've seen it. But, so I want, I want you to just push aside any of the resistance. We're gonna talk, I'm going to talk to the ladies a little bit. And so here's what pastors do a lot of times. They get their wife up here and she talks to the ladies, but uh, I'm going gutsy tonight. I'm just going to do it. So... Yeah, that's right. Amen. We're, we're talking to the ladies. Thank you. Clap for me. I need the encouragement. Help me out here a little bit. No, this is good. So, and uh, is my wife here? I think she's, yeah, there, there you are. So don't stare at her the whole service. She always talks about that. Uh, but I'm going to talk about you a lot tonight, babe. So uh, I just can't help it. And as I bring up conversations and, and, and illustrations about my marriage, I want you to know this. It's not because we are the model marriage. That's for sure. Um, we have learned a lot and, uh, and messed up a lot. And I can remember when we were first dating, like, um, people talk about the honeymoon stage when you're dating and how, like, it's all, you know, butterflies and unicorns and everything's happy. That lasted, like, eight seconds for us. Um, I don't know, maybe you guys, it was like, yeah, then we got married and a couple months later started dealing with things. It was, like, week two, and we were fighting like cats and dogs, right? Remember, babe? It was, it was a mess. So, anyway, I mean, even her family was like, why are you together? What are you doing? I mean, it was terrible. I remember we were fighting upstairs. And, uh, and it, got, it got loud. It, it, was, it was not good. And um, like I'm yelling and she's yelling and it's just a bad thing. And, and so like everything kind of like ends and the door slams and I'm sitting there in our bedroom and I hear like a lawnmower fire up. And I, I pull the blind and realize the window's been, have you been there married people? The window's been wide open the whole time. And I look down and there is my neighbor and, he, and he's, like, he's like mowing his lawn with that look on his face, you know? <laughs> And so the mower shuts down, and he's out there, and I'm just sitting on my bed embarrassed, and I'm like, oh, I know he's been listening to this whole thing. He, this is so stupid. I turned on the TV, and I cranked it on some stupid sitcom, and then I went out front and started, like, working on the yard, hoping he would think it was the TV. That's how desperate I was to not be embarrassed by, by how immature we were being. You've done some stupid stuff, married people. Come on. Like, admit it. When you're embarrassed, it, it, you, just don't, you just want to cover it up. You want to hide in the corner and just act like you never did what you just did. But this is the truth, right? Our wives and our husbands, they, they get the worst of us sometimes, right? I mean, let's be honest. Uh, we might say things to our wife or to our husband that we would never say to a friend of ours. It's just there's something about this relationship when two people become one that draws out a lot of friction and a lot of turmoil and the worst of us comes out. That's why marriage is so good for us, you guys. I, I, you know, I shudder to think who I'd be without having been married because I've learned a lot about who I am as a person and I've learned a lot about what it means to truly love somebody. And I wouldn't have learned that apart from marriage. And I know some of you want to be married, and you're not. And, I, I, and, and hopefully that day will come for you as well. But understand, like for me, this has been educational, to say the least. And, and I've learned a lot through this whole thing. So 
I want to talk about a term that the Bible uses a lot, and the term is headship. Now, headship is this old school term, and when you think about headship, you might think, well, what is a head? A head is a, you know, a body part. Um, a head of something can also be like a leader, like a, you know, head of this department, head of that um, corporation or whatever it may be. And a head can also be like a, a source of something, like a head gate of a river. And so as the Bible talks about headship, I want to I talk about it by that last, last definition, like uh, you know, that, that a head is almost like a source of something. And as we look at what happens in the Bible, we see the creation of man. And man is created in the garden, and he's given a job to do, and uh, he's created in the image of God. And then God says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. I would like to create somebody for you. And he calls her his, his helper, his helper. Now, don't, don't flinch. Be, just relax. But he calls her his helper. And he describes that, I'm going to give you this woman who's going to come from the rib of your side, and I'm going to make her as a helper for you. You have a job to do. She has a job to do. You both bear my image. You're both equally valuable in my eyes as human beings, but I'm going to give you two different jobs to do. And so he gives this, this, this role of the man. He calls it a headship, a role in the house. Now, I want to ask you, I don't know if you've ever heard this name before. This, this man's name is Sully Sullenberger. Anybody know that name? Probably not, but a couple of you maybe. But so there was this pilot who flew a U.S. Air Airlines uh, plane, and uh, it was, I think, in 2009, yeah. Um, so he flew this, this, he was leaving out of LaGuardia Airport, and all of a sudden the plane hits a flock of geese, Canadian geese, and all his, his, he loses power in his engines. Do you guys remember this story? And so he's now like in this position where he has life-changing choices to make. I mean, he is in this role as pilot, has a job to do. What we know as we read the story is that he landed safely uh, in the Hudson River. 150 people, 155 people, uh, their lives were saved because he, uh, he landed safely, securely. All of his training uh, kicked in, and he was a hero. Remember that? Like, he was all over the news. Everybody's like, hey, this guy did such a good job. And I loved how he received it. Very humble guy. But he just said, you know, I had a job to do, and I did it. I had a job to do, and I did it. Now, as a, as a pilot of an aircraft, there are probably certain perks to that. You get a great view, right? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe they bring in, you know, a couple sodas while you're flying, hopefully only sodas, right? Um, you know, I mean, you, you get this experience of, of flying this great aircraft. It's, there, there can be cool things about it. But there's also like a weight to bear, isn't there? I mean, this man in this moment, I just have to, I have to say, like, I don't think anybody in that airplane wanted to be that man. I don't think anybody wanted to be Sully in that moment. Sully had a, a heavy weight on his shoulders. 155 people's lives were hanging in the balance, and he was going to make choices, and he was going to make decisions and push little buttons and, and turn things that were going to make the difference between life and death for these people. I didn't want to be him. I wouldn't want to be him. But he had a job to do. And so I want to use that to describe, I think, the way the Bible describes headship in a healthy way. So he's given this position, this role to play. It's both a blessing and a burden. Headship is a blessing and a burden. He had, I'm sure, a lot of years of great flights, a lot of takeoffs and landings that were, um, were there was nothing interesting happening at all. But this was the moment that he needed to lead, and he led well in that situation. And the people in the plane, I can imagine them clapping, cheering for him, sending him letters, thankful that he led well in the situation. 
So headship, I would define as this. It's the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. It's a role to play for, for a man to say, listen, I want to make sure that these things are happening. Now, the, the, the actual guts of this are going to look lots, lots different in different homes. Like, you know, she may be working, you may be working, um, you know, the situation's going to always be changing. You may have kids, you may not have kids, you might not have a home, you, uh, you know, you might just kind of go live in the Alaska bush somewhere. I don't know what you're doing, you know, so actually how this plays out is going to look so different. But it's literally to, to be given this divine calling of servant leadership. I think of that pilot, and he had a servant leadership role in that moment, did he not? And I think about it, and I think, like, he was not only the, the leader and the, the head in this situation, but he was also the recipient of his own leadership, wasn't he? Like, he wasn't only the pilot flying from a distance, he was actually going to experience and receive what his leadership was like. And, and, and you know this, as, as you have a household, you as a, as, a, as a father or as a husband will actually get to receive the fruit of your own leadership, won't you? And this is how Sully was. And so there's a certain weight and a blessing at the same time of this. So that's how I would describe headship. Submission, which is a scary word, I know it's a scary word, is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and carry it through according to her gifts. It's a divine calling to carry it through to empower leadership according to her gifts. So here's the question before we get into the, into the text, and we're going to get there in Ephesians 5. But the question I think that comes to a lot of people's minds is, so are men and women equal? Are we equal? Because this is, this is really important to know. Are we equal? And I want to say with a loud, resounding yes and no. I want to say yes in all the ways that matter to your identity as a person, absolutely. Are you created in the image of God equally? Are you equally valuable? Should we view you equally valuable? Absolutely. But in function, no. I don't think, I don't, like I can't get the word of God to say it any differently. I think we have different functions. So I would say equal and valuable, but complementary in our actual functions as a couple. It's gonna be different. We have different things that we're gonna do. As people, and this is important, we need to complement each other. I need what my wife brings to the table, trust me, and she needs what I bring to the table. And so, again, this whole series has been about knowing who we are in Christ. And, and we've said this from the very beginning, and I think we need to keep saying that, that, that who you are determines what you do. When you know who you are, it changes your actions, but not the other way around, ever. What you do cannot determine who you are. Ultimately, what determines who you are is what Christ says and who Christ says you are. So the, the question that I've given from the beginning is for you to ask yourself, am I in Christ or am I not? That's the only distinction. That is the one determining factor of who you are. And when you know who you are in Christ, all this other stuff, it's going to come falling into place. The things that used to matter to you, the battles that you used to fight, you're going to fight different battles. And it's just going to change how you receive this on either end. And so men and women, there's going to be some weight here. I'm going to talk to the ladies first. You ladies ready? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Ephesians 5. Open up. Let's do this. Ephesians chapter 5. Grab a Bible so you know that I'm not just making this stuff up. <laughs> I love how awkward you guys are. This is awesome. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, wives. 
I want you to say it together. One, ladies, I want you to say it together. I'm going to do it with the men too. Wives, the second word is this. One, two, three. Oh, yeah, that was great. That was great. Nice job. Just like acid from the tongue. I get it. Like submit. It just, ah. Okay. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body and his, himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let me close. I'm just kidding. So, all right. So there we go. So we, we, we cracked that one open. So when you hear that, I don't know what pops into your mind. It may be like, this sounds like, you know, pie in the sky, that's great. Uh, you know, submit to the husband, and, you know, this might work out great for some women, but that's not going to work out <laughs> very well for me. If I don't fight my own battles, who's going to fight them? Like, and, and you're maybe already bringing up a lot of, like, what ifs. Like, what if, what if he's this kind of man? What if it's this kind of situation? You know, what does this look like? And I know there's a lot of different situations, but he's just, he, he, he's saying from the very beginning that this is how I view a healthy, godly marriage. That this is the way the role of the woman is lined out throughout scripture. And so here's what I want to say is that um, this is hard to receive. I'm sure it is. And there's part, and I'm going to get to the guys because I think it's equally as hard to receive if the guys understand what, what uh, is going to be said to them in a minute. But the Bible is very clear that when, when women don't receive this, it gets really messy. And, and, and so we're going to go to Proverbs because I love Proverbs. So Solomon, being a guy that understood what it looked like to uh, have a wife because he had a thousand of them, um, he, he talks about wives this way. This is awesome. Um, you're going to love this one. Proverbs 21:19 says, It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome or fretful woman. Okay? So he literally says that it would be better for you men to like wander off in the Alaska tundra and like starve to death than to marry the woman that is fretful and that is quarrelsome that wants to cause a lot of problems. And it was interesting. I was talking to, to a single guy this week who was talking about his girlfriend and they were wrestling with like, you know, do we stay together? What do we do? And I was like, listen, man, like you would rather be single than marry the wrong woman. I want to tell you that. You would, just, you would rather wander off in the desert. And I'm just speaking the word of God. And you would rather... <laughs> I feel like I need a net to protect me up here. Like Blues Brothers style, right? So anyway, so Proverbs, let's go to Proverbs 27, 15. It says, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. That's good stuff right there. So he compares you to waterboarding, right? Which is like illegal in most countries. And he's like, this is what it's like to have a quarrelsome wife. Is like, it's like waterboarding, you know, little drips on your forehead all day long. Now I'm going to get to the guys, but listen, Scripture's just saying, this should not be. This is not how God designed the marriage relationship or for you to function. And I know you're, maybe you're coming up with, with different excuses and different situations, but I just want you to read this for what it says. Because the thing about the Bible is it, it doesn't give you a way out. It just doesn't. It doesn't give you a whole lot of unless this, unless that. It just says this is how you're to act as, as a couple. And, and so for you as a, as a wife... I want you to think about your husband. Now, I have never met um, a wife who doesn't want their husband to be a great leader. I, I just haven't met a woman who's like, yeah, I don't really want my husband to be a great leader. Maybe it's like, well, I don't want him to lead because he's a terrible leader. But maybe you're saying like, no, I would love for him to be a great leader. Now, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been in a position where you had all kinds of responsibility and no authority? You ever been there? 
Have you ever had a boss say, like, hey, go make this happen, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one looking over your shoulder and micromanaging every step of the way? Is that fun? Certainly not. And so what he's trying to create here is he's trying to create this, this beautiful union that can happen in a marriage relationship. And he's saying, listen, uh, for your husband to lead, you have to follow. For your husband to lead, there has to be someone who is following. And submission is literally an initiation for somebody else to lead. And we all submit to somebody, don't we? I submit to people. I hope you do. Like your, your husband, if he's here and he has a job, he submits to somebody. We all submit to somebody. Even if you own your business, you got somebody. You probably submit to the customer. Like, I mean, in some ways, we all submit to somebody. And so this term, although like I know it just rolls off the tongue like acid on your tongue, listen, it's not a bad word. There is, there's a health in healthy submission. And so he's just lining this out. Now, I, I just remember this story when I was working as a mechanic. Um, uh, we, we had this shop that was right down on the other side of this parking lot from a gas station. And uh, lots of semi-trucks coming through, lots of cars coming through. And every week, somebody would show up with a vehicle they'd filled up, um, like a gas car they'd filled up with diesel. So in walks to the shop, this man and woman, and he's just, his face is red. He's angry. And she's like talking his ear off. And they come up to the desk, and she's still talking. And, and, I, and I like... I, I kind of gather in the conversation, okay, they filled up their diesel truck with gasoline and she started it. Public service announcement, never start it. Just don't start it. So our job is always to kind of change all the filters and pump the whole thing out. And anyway, so like he's fired up, she's upset, and, and, and he, he's like, why did you do this? And she's like, I just grabbed the one I always grab, is what she said. I just grabbed the nozzle, I, always, I, I'm a, I have a gas car, so I grabbed the gas nozzle, I filled it up. What do you, you know, that's what you do. And so here's what I want to tell you, like, the way, the reason that Paul is lining this out for us is because when it comes to men and women, we run on different things, don't we? Like, we just, just the way that gasoline or diesel is what runs a vehicle, men and women run on different things. And so, although both men and women need love, we're going to talk to the men about love. And although both men and women need respect, we're going to talk to the women about respect, because the Bible's kind of an intuitive book, isn't it? The Bible kind of like cuts through all of, of all of our, our problems and he see, it sees like who we really are and our struggles and it's like, hey guys, you get the whole respect thing but you don't get the love thing sometimes. Just in general, total generalizations. And he's saying, hey, hey ladies, like you get love, you love love stories, you read books about love but maybe you struggle with respect. And so we're going to speak to the things that you struggle most with. And so ladies, here's what I want you to know. Your husband functions on respect. He needs respect. It's, respect is what, what's, going to, what's going to empower him to be the leader that you want him to be. But until you let him lead, until you encourage him to lead, he will never be the leader that you hope he will be. So a few ways just to help you out. Women, respect him by following. That's the first one I want to throw out there. Respect him by following. What does this mean? This means giving him a chance to make the call, giving him a chance to lead the way he's intended to lead. Now, I get that this is hard because um, there are some ladies in the room and uh, ladies in ACF Church who are amazing leaders. Some of you ladies in this room, you have leadership just oozing out of you. And now, Amanda, my wife, she's an awesome leader. 
Like she, she just like is attracted to leadership vacuums. Like if we were all standing at, you know, the intersection of two streets, looking at a map, going like, hey, which way do we go? After about 30 seconds, she'd be like, give me the map, let's go. I mean, we're wasting time, get in the car, hit the gas. By the time we get down the road, you know, find out we went the wrong way, we could have gone the other way and, you know, not wasted all this time. And so she's just, when she sees a leadership vacuum, she just jumps in because she knows how to lead. And so I get that. Some of you ladies are amazing leaders. So again, we're not talking about capability here. We're talking about function and role. Some of you are amazing leaders, very capable leaders, but what he's saying is, listen, if you want your man to be the leader that you want him to be, you're going to have to let him lead and encourage him to do that. Encourage him to lead. Again, roles don't mean rank, you know? I mean, it doesn't mean that you're in any way lesser than your husband to allow him to lead. And as one of my friends described it, he described it like a dance, like marriage is like a good dance, and just like any dance, every dance needs a leader, does it not? Any good dance needs a leader. Without somebody leading in a dance, what we have is what's called a mosh pit, right? So there's a difference. You've seen marriages that look like a beautiful ballroom dance and marriages that look like a mosh pit because that's what happens when nobody is leading. And the Bible is describing, again, this is how it's intended to be. Ladies, let your man lead. Give him an opportunity to lead and follow his lead in it. The second thing is communicate your respect. This is important. Respect them by following. Also, communicating your respect is a huge deal. Again, if men run on respect, we need to hear you say it sometimes. We need to hear you affirm that within us. And um, the other day, a, a friend of mine, he sent me a, a Facebook message. And uh, I just, I was like, oh, this is really, this is really good. Because I was like getting emotional reading it. And uh, you may or may not get this. I don't know what this will mean to you. But he says this. He says, um, he says hey, I wanted to extend a compliment to you. Um, you've been really falling into your own. I've been enjoying the messages, and as a coach, I've always been attracted to growth. Uh, you are growing beautifully in Christ. Uh, I never say much. I just call them like I see. Uh, you and your family are in our prayers, and we're comfortable with you leading our family. Uh, you have put in the time, work, and effort and earned your keep. No one can take that away from you. You have my support, and I'll come to the aid of ACF if I'm ever needed. Um, I love you. And I love most our church. So proud of you. So I read that and I was like, good night, man. Jeez. Like, if he would have sent me, like, love you, bro, you know, winky face, smiley face, heart, 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 I would have been just like, it means nothing to me, right? Because just as a, as a man, when you read that, if that would have been like your wife writing something like, like that to you, I mean, you guys are like, I'll take a bullet for that girl, right? I mean, I will go to the moon for that girl. I will do any, I mean, you will see a new man when I know that you respect me as a person and you respect my leadership and what I'm trying to do. Because here's what you may not know is that most guys feel like they're not good enough. Most guys struggle with, with a sense of uh, uh, that, that they have, have, have what it takes to lead in the home. And so when you affirm that, it pulls out the best things. And I know for some of you, you're like, all right, if, if I do that, he's going to walk all over me. He's going to do this. Listen, just, let's just read this for what it is. As men, we need this sense of respect. And, and uh, I think that if you communicate it, it's going to go a long ways. And it comes in little things. You don't even have to write a note. Little things like, I remember the other day, uh, Amanda and I, we have sort of an evening ritual. The kids will go to bed. We've got some shows that we record. We watch The Blacklist. Anybody watching Blacklist? So it was the season finale coming up. And, uh, and so I was out working in the garage, working on a project. You know, it was 8 p.m., 8.15, 8.30, 8.45. And all of a sudden, my phone lights up. Ding! 
And I look over and I see this text and I wrote it down. This is, this is brilliant. She says, will you be able to stop for a few minutes and watch Blacklist? Now you might read that and go like, sounds like a simple question. But that's a shrewd wife is what that is. That's a woman who knows how, she's laughing, that's a woman who knows how to communicate with her husband. Had she said, if you loved me, you would be inside and we would be watching Blacklist already. I am so disappointed in you, I can't believe this. I would rather drop that phone in a bucket full of oil than go inside that house, I swear to you. Like, I just, I wouldn't do it, you know? Any man in the room's like, darn right, I get that. So... That's a woman that's learning how to communicate with her husband. That's not her being inferior or her being demeaned. You know, it's just like her going, I'm just going to communicate to my husband in a way that says, I'm going to honor that you're out there. And, and she also knows at this point in our marriage, I could have said, sorry, babe, like your car is in pieces. You need to go to work tomorrow. I need to finish this, this project. And she's got to be okay with that. But she's communicating in a way that gives me an opportunity as a man to, to lead well and to make a good decisions. What did I do? I went inside. Hung out with my wife, because I'm like, that's hot, you know? <laughs> I'm telling you, ladies, I'm just trying to help you out. I, I tell Amanda, like, the, most, the hottest thing you ever do is just treat me with respect. It's just, it's true. And so I'm just trying to help you out a little bit here. Uh, the third thing is this, respect his passions. Just respect his passions. I get that you want nothing to do with Xbox and Black Ops. I get that you don't care about, you know, the hot rod down the road. Um, you know, I, I get that there's a lot of things that maybe he loves that you, you just want nothing to do with. But listen, uh, part of the, the, the things that build us up as men is that you would respect some of the things that we love. Uh, and so Amanda, I think she's done a great job of this. She's learned about things that, that I love. She uh, goes four-wheeling with me, which, you know, makes her car sick, riding in the stupid Jeep. And so, uh, but she puts up with it because she knows I love it. She's even learned, so Amanda, what's the front axle on my Jeep? Do you know what it is? It's a Dana 60. That's a good woman. Uh, oh, man, I'm telling you, I got a, got a good, good lady. So she has learned what the front axle is on my Jeep. And again, it's like for me, that's my love language right there. And so, again, understand your man. So, uh, men, you ready? Oh, my gosh, it's going to get worse. All right, men, open up. Uh, Ephesians 5. 25. We got we to gotta, we gotta cruise here, but we got to go through this because men, um, it, it's going to get real. Husbands, here's what we're going to do. I want you all men to say it like the ladies did so vigorously. Um, we're going to say this word together. One, two, three. Love. That's decent. That's okay. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might be, or he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Beautiful passage. All right, guys, we said this already. Authority means responsibility. 
So when you read this, again, it's so important that the Bible doesn't, doesn't say like specifically about, um, you know, that the, the, the husbands should, should uh, respect the wives or the wives should love the husbands. It's speaking specifically to, you know, our, our weaknesses. And so for us as men, we struggle sometimes communicating our love and feeling our love and expressing our love. And so the Bible's gonna, gonna get down and dirty and say, listen, you need to love your, your, your wife like Christ loves the church. And so as you read this, it should be a little bit of like an, oh snap, am I doing this? Am I loving? And, and as you start to study and, and as we talk a little bit about how Christ loved the church, it should be even more convicting for us. So man, the first thing that I want you to do is this, love sacrificially. If we're gonna love our wives the way that Christ loved the church, then we have to be willing to give ourselves up for our wives. Because that's what Christ did for the church. He gave himself up willingly and sacrificed himself for the church. Here's what I know. Every girl in the room appreciates sacrifice. That's why every sappy chick flick ends with a guy full of bullet holes and bleeding and she's holding him with a big smile on her face. I love you. You might die, but like I'm so in love. You know, that's like that's the, the, the crux of the movie. It's like he gave up everything for her, you know, like this is her language. She needs to know you're willing to give something up for her. Again, this whole like, I'm going to get married but live like a single guy does not say love to your wife. The things that used to be need to change. Now, they may not all go away, but some of them will. And that's just, that's, that's marriage. And it's going to be better. But we need to understand that that's coming. We need to love sacrificially. Here's how Jesus loved. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, while we were spitting in the face of Jesus, he was dying for us. When you didn't believe, when you rejected him, when people were screaming at him, he was dying for them. So for you men in the room, you're like, I'll love her when she treats me with a little respect. That doesn't look like Christ's love. Christ's love is the kind of love that gives himself up for the bride being the church. And so for us as men, it's not like I'll love her when she calms down a little bit. I'll love her when she begins to, you know, to enjoy the things that I enjoy. Your job is not what we just talked about. You can just shut that all out of your minds, guys. I, I was talking to the ladies. Your job is love her sacrificially the way that Christ loved the church. Second thing is this, love creatively. This is really important. I think, and this is something that we lose as men, is that we forget, I think, to date our wives and, and to pursue our wives. We're like, hey, I reeled them in. She's in the boat. No more fishing, right? It's like, I'm, I got nothing else to do. I'm good. And so we don't continue to pursue our wives and love the way that she uh, can receive it. Um, one of the classic books for this, if you need a resource, is The Five Love Languages. A lot of people have read that, um, been around a long time, but it's a great resource for understanding like, okay, what actually communicates love to you? And that's what I'm going to do for you. Again, like, hey, you're a diesel. She's a gas engine. She needs something different than what you need. Don't just give her what you would want. You guys, have, we've all made that mistake, right? We gave her the gift we would want, and she was not happy at all, right? She didn't want a 30-06. She wanted flowers. And so don't make that mistake. Love creatively. For Amanda and I, we try to go on dates. I, I figured out she just likes to dress up and for me to dress up a little bit occasionally, not to have pants that have grease on them or whatever, and to actually go out to eat and go to a nice place. She, she appreciates that. Um, at one point, she was like, hey, I just, um, I don't know if you know this, but um, I'd like flowers once in a while. 
And I'm like, note to self, she wants flour. That's good to know. If your wife ever is willing to give you that tidbit, listen to her. This is an opportunity for you. Here's the thing. I went like two months, didn't buy her flowers. And then we had conversation number two, which is never as good as conversation number one. Um, And it was a little bit like, okay, so I I tried uh, to communicate this to you. Did you not hear me? And so um, I'm just letting you in on my secret. I ended up putting a notification on my phone. Every 15th of every month, I get something that pops up that says, Amanda Flowers. And um, eh, half the time, I probably do it. But it's better than it used to be. So I've come a long ways. So anyway, be creative. Be creative and remember what you love about your wife, you guys. You probably have more than you realize. You probably have a lot more than you realize. And it's so easy, like as we mature, and as we get older and things change and kids come and go and the stress of life comes and goes, like we just forget what we've got. And just, guys, look at my eyes. Listen. What you've been accustomed to, somebody else is really attracted to. What you have become accustomed to, somebody else is really attracted to. So don't be the kid that that doesn't want to play with the toy until somebody else wants to take it away from them. I'm just saying, don't be that kid that doesn't realize what they have until somebody else wants to take it away, okay? Now, you might have the most faithful wife in the world, and that's awesome, but we need to recognize what we have in our wives, the gift that they are to us. And what you long time ago forgot that you had, you need to readdress and find new ways to appreciate what we have in our wives. Because I'm telling you, the people around her see those things. You might not see it anymore, but you need to look at your wife with fresh eyes and appreciate what you have in her. So that got quiet. Anyway, (laughs) part uh, three, number three, love practically. This is important. Love practically. I am so out of time. But this is good stuff. Um, I know one thing about my wife. She wants security. Ladies, you want a little security? It's good to know. It's good to know your husband's trying to take care of you, trying to make good decisions for the family. Um, when I just go out and buy like a fishing boat without talking to her, that does not communicate that I love her and that I'm trying to take care of our family. You know, like there are certain limitations and I don't know what it is for you and your family. You got to figure it out. But there are certain things that you probably should wait and talk to your wife uh, before you do those things. There are certain things that you should be doing, you know, around the house. And even if you're like, Brian, I don't know the difference between like a crescent wrench and a screwdriver. That's totally fine. But you can try to make those things happen around the house. That broken thing that you've been putting off for years or that project that you're like, one day, one day, one day. We can make an effort that maybe we haven't made to show our wives, listen, I I do hear you. And if it's something that's, you know, you need to wait on budget or it's just not time, like talk to her about that, but don't just ignore those little practical things that she's asking for. Love practically. Show her that you love her by some of those things. Maybe right now you're not working. You're like, well, Brian, I'm not the sole provider. That's totally fine. You have things that you can do to help the house, you know, help things run better, to help her do what she does. You have ways to practically show her that you love her. Love her practically. Uh, There's some other leadership things that you can do. I don't know a woman out there that's like, you know, I just would hate it if my husband was like, you know what, every night, could we just stop and pray as a family? Like instead of doing the quick like, God, thanks for the food, thanks for the grub, let's eat thing. What if we just did a quick little, you know, I opened a verse, I read the Bible Gateway thing, I got on the ACF Church app and, you know, just went through the verse and we just read it and asked like, you know, what do you guys think of this? And it took like, you know, two minutes and then we prayed together. What if we did that? You know what, guys? That's, that's good leadership. 
And that's going to be the kind of leadership your wife wants to follow, is when we do those things that are hard things and easy things to show that we want to love her practically. It means things like this. When you're dead tired and you just got home from work and you just had a terrible day and your kids are standing there and they want to play with you, that you lay down on the floor and you play with them anyway. And you know what? Your wife's going to see that. She's going to see that you're going the extra, an extra mile and she's probably going to be the kind of girl that's going to come over. She's going to bring you a drink. She's going to you know, rub your shoulders. She's like, look at you. You got nothing left, but you're still giving. Again, sacrifice, practicality, showing that you love her in ways that are tangible, communicating those things to her, so important, you guys. So this passage, again, speaks to, I think, the needs and the struggles within a marriage. And if you're here tonight and you're like, you know, I've, I've been through a terrible breakup or I've seen terrible marriages I want you to just consider that the way that, that, that Paul lines out a healthy marriage may be some of the keys to, to seeing a, a lot fewer divorces in our culture and a lot more people who are more than just roommates but actually living fulfilling marriages. Now, there might be a few of you in the room here today who are like, I'm going to go home and just fix this thing. You know, like you're motivated now. So you're like, I read the, we're going to go home. We're going to hash this thing out. There's probably going to be a lot of arguments in our church tonight. I, I totally get that. This will not land on both of your ears the same way. But here's what I need you to know. We started off with this, that to, to truly become us means losing you. You see, I think this starts off with knowing who you are as a person. And we started off with our identities. I don't think that you can pour this out until it's been poured into you. I don't think that you can give this kind of grace until you've been given this kind of grace. So I want you to know, like, you're setting yourself up to fail if you're just going to go home and by the strength that you have, you know, in your own, your own strength, you're going to go try to fix this thing apart from Christ, you're just going to fail. This relationship only happens when, when, when people understand who they are in Christ and they've received that grace so that they can pour that grace out into other people. I want to ask you this. Have you, been, have you like received Jesus but been living like you're single? Have you prayed some prayer at one point or been coming to church and yet you're still sort of holding on to, to you? The Bible is so clear. Like There's no in-between. I mean, our wives might put up with it, but Jesus will not. Like We cannot follow Jesus and love other things. It's an either-or thing, as it should be in our marriage. And so I want you to just ask this question, do you want to follow Jesus? Wholeheartedly, all in, you know, seal the escape hatch, I'm just going to do this thing. And I think from that place, that's where all of this other stuff's going to flow from. That's where the, the love and the grace and the respect's going to flow from, from both you men and you women. And I just, you guys, I was praying for you this week, and I was praying over this passage because I know it's hard, and I know a lot of you have been through some terrible things, and uh, you've got a lot of wounds, maybe, from this. And some of you are like, man, Brian, I don't even know if I want to walk into this. I'm just single and thinking about getting married. You guys, this is such a beautiful thing. And like, like when I started, um, a marriage is such a beautiful picture of Christ's love for the church. And when, a, when it's working, it is a powerful testimony for how much Jesus loves you. And so I want that. I want our, our church full of marriages that are powerful testimonies for the love of Christ to the world. And so here's what we're going to close out with. Um, quick thing I want to I challenge you with. Um, everybody who has a smartphone, pull out your smartphone. Just, just humor me for a second. Pull out your smartphones. I know you've all got one. Some of you have two, uh, the work one and the home one. Just pull out your smartphones. Um, here's what I want to do. So starting on Monday, 
we're going to do uh, what we're calling the love and the respect challenge. And so what I want you guys to do is, men, I want you to text the word love to 40650. So if you're married, if you're dating, if you're thinking about getting married ever, I want you to just like do this because you're going to get some great tips. So uh, text love to 40650. Women, text the word respect to 40650. And starting Monday morning at 8 a.m., you're going to get a text every day. And our entire church, this is going to be great, our entire church is going for, for seven days, going to act out what we just talked about in very simple, practical ways. And so you're going to have to make space for it. Some of your phones are already ringing. That's great. So I know you're distracted because it's going to text you back. You have to confirm and stuff. But just do this. And I want you guys to be part of this. I want to see hundreds of people signed up for this. And you guys go home, get on social media, share this with your friends. They don't even have to live in Alaska. They can be all over the place. Share it with your friends. Get them on board with this. And let's just see what might happen if a whole community full of people, a whole community full of relationships were acting in love and respect towards each other. And, and these are all written for married people as well as single people who are just dating. Um, it, it's gonna be appropriate for both. And so sign up for that and uh, let's just see what happens when we learn to do relationships God's way, all right? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your word to us. Thank you that um, it, uh, it rubs against our pride and that it pushes us. God, as a man, I just confess that, uh, that I don't um, love my wife the way that I should and that uh, the self-sacrificial giving love of Christ doesn't just flow from me the way that it needs to. Um, God, I know that throughout this room are a lot of different stories and we've come from a lot of different places. And God, we just ask for your wisdom in applying some of this uh, to, our, to our daily lives. God, I, I just want to pray your protection over couples as, as they go home, God, over the conversation in the car, the conversation after the kids go to bed, or God, whatever it may be, God, that those conversations would be seasoned with your grace. Um, God, instead of pulling and yanking and, and, and wanting what's best for either side, God, I, I just pray for uh, a desire to, to have health and wholeness and, and peace and, and uh, you know, a servant-hearted way of looking at them as a couple. God, so I just, I pray that protection and pray that grace over everyone here. And God, we ask for, for a change in our city and in our community. God, we know there's a lot of broken marriages, a lot of people who are struggling. And so God, could we as the church uh, be a reflection uh, of your love for humanity? God, could the marriages in this room be so sacrificial, so loving, so respectful that people stand up and notice? And God, could we as people say it comes from the grace that's been poured out on us by Christ alone. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.